Everyone's laughing at God. We're all laughing. Good morning. Uh, you have no idea how thrilling it is for me to be at Crossroads today. I have been a fan of this church from afar for a long, long time and uh, have watched what God is doing in your lives and through your lives. And I've been a fan of your pastor uh, for many years. And if you're just like checking out Crossroads today for the first time, you need to know I'm the backup guy. And uh, that's the guy. And this church has one of the great, great, great pastors in America. Now, I know uh, most of you have never heard me speak before. And usually I get this when I go someplace new to speak. People right away say, Gene, is that your real voice? Do you really sound that way? And, uh, you know, like I'd give your audio guys a hundred bucks if they could make me sound like Barry White when I talk, you know. <laughs> kind of, Jesus loves you, baby, something like that. <laughs> but instead, when God was handing out voices, I got one that sounds like uh, Barney Fife after a big arrest. It's kind of, Andy, Andy, and uh, <laughs> inhaling helium for the last two days. So uh, that's what you got today. Hey, let me ask you, do you remember your first broken heart? I was a freshman in high school. Her name was Lynette Cotts. Our eyes met during marching band practice. And when I saw her, I marched a little faster and a little higher. We'd been an item for a few weeks when uh, she was selected as freshman class attendant for the homecoming activities. I was like, I can't believe it. My girlfriend... Lynette Cott, freshman class attendant. Life doesn't get any better than this. And then she dumped me to go to the homecoming dance with the quarterback of the varsity football team. Uh, let me tell you, I was absolutely devastated. They call that puppy love, but it was real to this puppy. And uh, we all know what puppy love eventually leads to. A dog's life. Well, that was my first broken heart. A broken heart is unreturned love. It's when you make an investment in loving someone and the investment goes bad. It's love given, but not love exchanged in return. Max Lucado writes about walking through a cemetery one time and coming across the grave of a woman named Grace Llewellyn Smith. No date of birth was listed, no date of death, just the names of her two ex-husbands and this sad epitaph, sleeps but rests not, loved but was loved not, tried to please but pleased not, died as she lived, alone. Think of those words, loved but was loved not. And try to imagine the long nights and the empty beds and the messages left, not responded to. Love letters written with no response. No love exchanged for love given. You know, one of the things that I figured out in life as a pastor is that everybody's hurting. Everybody's wounded someplace. Some of you this morning, you're hurting physically. An illness, a cancer, 
a disability, an accident that caused long-term complications. Many others of us are hurting emotionally, relationally. In our past, there's been betrayal, deception, abandonment. Maybe it's a childhood memory that you haven't gotten past. Maybe abuse, whether it was physically or, or verbally or in unspeakable sexual ways. Maybe it was the divorce of parents that you've never gotten quite over. Many of us are wounded spiritually. A mistake that we've made in our past. A sin. And we so wish we could go back and undo it, whether it was 20 years ago, two weeks ago, or last night. You've confessed that to God, and you can't seem to let it go. Friends, when you're going through a time of woundedness, when you're going through a time of hurt, whether it's uh, physically or emotionally, relationally or spiritually, you need God to be a healer in your life. And I know, because it happened to me back in the late 80s. I met the woman who would eventually become my wife uh, on a Christian college campus. Our eyes met from across a college cafeteria, crowded in that place, and there was an immediate love connection, and it was a relationship that just was on, and we dated for the next three years, and finally got married, and it was like fairy tale land. She was from a wonderful Christian family, and we had every girl's dream wedding, and we took the exotic honeymoon, and I became the associate pastor of a small church in the Midwest. And about a year later, uh, we accepted the call to move to Central Christian Church in Las Vegas, where I became the senior pastor at the age of 25. I could barely shave. And it was so exciting to us. We were like, Las Vegas Church. I mean, that sounds like an oxymoron. What is that going to be like? You know, are they going to have an Elvis impersonator doing the prelude? Is it going to be tithe machines out in the lobby? Girls in bikinis announcing hymn numbers, you know it. Well, I'm telling you, the next few years were quite a ride for us. And we saw God go to work and go to work in many people's lives. And, and the church started uh, growing dramatically. And we had to go through a building program to expand our facilities. And we tripled the size of our campus a few years later. And I'll never forget the night we had the dedication of that facility, the chairman of our elder board got up and said some very kind things about my leadership in the church, and people gave a standing ovation, and I'd like to say that it didn't give me a big head, you know, but that wouldn't be true. I was like pat patting myself on the back, and I went home that night just feeling on top of a mountain. This is one of the, we're, we're going to sail into a whole new era of ministry, and within about two hours... I went from one of the highest mountains of life to the absolute lowest valley of life when my wife informed me that she was in love and involved with another man and that she was leaving the next morning. I was shocked. I kept thinking she would say it was a joke. But the next morning she left. And despite relentless attempts at reconciliation, she never returned. 
and she married the guy. Those of you who've walked in those shoes know the emotional war that goes on inside of you at a time like that. Uh, frankly put, it's hell. You feel like you're in a black hole of doubt, fear, anger, hostility. So many emotional extremes rage inside of you. There were so many times, especially that first year or two, where I would be daydreaming or taking a nap or, or sleeping for a moment. And I would wake up and just think, this is all a bad dream. This really isn't happening. This is a nightmare. This happens to other people. This doesn't happen to me. And I wondered if healing would ever come. Friends, all these years later, I know, I know the only reason I'm able to stand before you is by the amazing grace of a loving God who heals. He's a healing God. He heals wounded, he heals broken, he heals afflicted people like all of us can be at one time or another. God led Moses and the Israelites three days out into the desert. They didn't have any water. And then when the spring of water that they came up to uh, started bringing forth water, it was too bitter to drink. And the people did what we would do in those circumstances. Here they are in the desert, nothing to drink, bitter water. They started panicking and they're grumbling. Oh no, what are we going to do? This is terrible. We're going to die. This is the end. And Moses cried out to God, and God showed Moses what to do, and the water became sweet. And there's a verse in Exodus, chapter 15, verse 26, that says, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, God said, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I have put on the Egyptians. And then he makes this statement that I want you to focus in on. He says, For I, the Lord... Am your healer. He's saying in the Hebrew word, I am Jehovah Rapha, Rapha, the healer. I am God, the healer. And all throughout the Bible, we see God revealing himself as a healer. We see him healing physically. King Hezekiah is dying from a terminal illness and he prays intensely for healing. And God responds in 2 Kings 20 verse 5, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears and I will, what? Say it. Heal you. God heals emotionally. Psalm 147 verse 3, he says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God heals spiritually. When David was such in a bad place spiritually, he prayed in Psalm 41.4. He said, oh Lord, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. Peter wrote of Jesus in 1 Peter 2.24. He said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. Healed. Now, I know most of you don't know me. And we've never met. But I can't begin to tell you how personally in my life right now and in my relationships and in my family, this is just one of the most tremendously joyful and fulfilling eras of my life. I can stand before you now a couple of decades after I went through that broken experience and tell you that God is a healer. He healed me in so many different ways. Four years later, after all that, he brought a beautiful woman into my life named Barbara, who had an 11-year-old son, 
and uh, I had the privilege of adopting him and marrying Barbara. And we, it was quite, we had quite an interesting wedding. It, we were faced with a dilemma as a pastor of a large church. Who do you invite to your wedding? I mean, on one side was, well, you know, we can't, if we can't invite everybody, let's invite nobody. And that didn't feel right because this is a church that walked with me through this valley and didn't feel like we could invite nobody. Then we thought, well, if we invite nobody, then we have to invite everybody. And if we invited everybody, we'd be the first wedding in history to have multiple services for the wedding. <laughs> and so we were faced with that dilemma and we thought, well, here's what we'll do. We had a large Wednesday night service. We thought, we'll just get married at the Wednesday night service, but we won't tell anybody they're coming at our wedding and who's ever there is there. And so that Wednesday night, we had the worship time and we had some baptisms. And then Mike Bro, who spoke for you last weekend, one of my closest friends in the world and was on our team at the time helping us ready to start a new church in Las Vegas. Mike Bro got up and he said, I know I'm supposed to teach right now, but instead I have two major announcements to make. He said, number one, Gene Apple and Barbara Cowan are engaged. And everybody, oh, they just applauded. They, oh, that's so wonderful. Our poor pastor's been so pitiful around here the last few years. We're so happy. <laughs> and then he said, and number two, you're at their wedding. They didn't clap. <laughs> they gasped. And then I don't even think they even believed it. They thought Mike was kidding until family members who had flown in from all across the country came inside doors, sat down in the front row, and we had a wedding at church that night. And it was an unbelievable experience sharing this mountain with these people who had walked with me through the valley. And I told people, you know, the moral of the story is don't ever, ever miss a midweek service. <laughs> I had people coming up to me saying, oh, Gene, that was, oh, I can't believe it. That was the only one I ever missed. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> well, since that time, I adopted Barbara's son, uh, Jeremy, and we've had two daughters that are now teenagers, and uh, just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary. And friends, at a personal level, things are so good and healthy for me right now that honestly, it's almost hard to remember sometimes that that wasn't always the case. And it's almost like God in his healing gives you a graceful sense of forgetfulness about the brokenness and heartbreak in your past. God is just so merciful that way. And he heals painful memories. If I could, I'd like to share with you some of the lessons I learned along the way. Going through this crucible in my own life that might be helpful to some of you who are going through or will go through or have gone through brokenness or hurt or resentment. A relationship breakdown of some kind. And you wonder if God can heal. And you wonder if you can ever re-emerge again. Here's a really big lesson I learned. Don't pull out of life. Naturally, none of us wants to be hurt. And so when we're hurt, our natural impulse is to withdraw into a shell. And you think, I risked and I got burned, so the way I don't get burned in the future is I don't risk again to love. But friends, the only risk greater than loving is the risk of not loving. God made us to need one another. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but when my marriage fell apart, while uh, there were many friends in my life and many acquaintances in my life, and if you, if you ask people, you know, are you a friend of Gene? There would be a hundred people, oh yeah, we hang out, we have a great time. 
But I can tell you this, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, just as a man, I was a solo sapien. And by that I mean I didn't let people too close into my internal world. I kept people kind of at an emotional distance. I think that's probably true, especially for a lot of guys in the room. And for a few weeks after all of the events started unfolding, I went into some isolation and I pulled away from relationships. And shortly thereafter, I got this letter from a friend, a follower of Jesus. And it was a turning point to crack me open to the possibility of some community and connection in my life. And here's what he wrote. Dear Gino, that's what a lot of my friends and family call me. He said, I cannot tell you how much I feel for you at this time, and I wish there were words to describe my sorrow. We are praying daily and thinking about you constantly. You are a dear friend and a constant source of Christian uplift in our lives. I realize that at a time like this, time to be by yourself and the Lord is most important, but I don't want you to forget that my lines are open for you. I wish at a time like this I could just give you a hug and take over all the pain you're feeling in your heart, but since this is not possible... I would like to share the load with you. For a friend to share the load, this means to be there any time of day or night. I'm here for you, pal. I hope you will turn to me for anything you want. Our home is wide open for you. Our hearts are open for you. You are like a brother to me, and I love you. When you are good and ready, please contact me any time of day or night. It doesn't matter. We won't stop praying for you or thinking about you. Well, I took the risk and I made contact with this guy. And I decided I wasn't going to withdraw. I wasn't going to be a solo sapien anymore. And friends, I'll tell you, I've made my share of bad decisions in my life. That was one of the best decisions that I've ever made in my life. And I started meeting with that guy for breakfast every Thursday morning and three other guys. There were five of us. We met in the coffee shop of a casino in Las Vegas. It was unbelievable. We could each get two eggs, bacon or sausage, hash browns, toast, and coffee for 99 cents apiece. <laughs> we were always fighting over the check. I'll buy today. No, I'll buy. You know, five bucks for all of us, you know, no big deal. Well, we started doing life together, and we started encouraging each other. We started opening up ourselves to each other. And in that circle, I found unconditional acceptance. I found uncommon wisdom. I found unconditional love. I found complete confidentiality. And I am forever grateful and over the years, God has brought different groups of people at different eras like that. And my relational world has become so much richer and so much deeper than it once was. And I am so grateful for that. Some of you here today, you need to take a step from the safety of isolation and take the risk of community. You heard earlier about some of these community groups that are forming and leaders that are needed. We all need an environment where we can take off our mask. Say, so here's what's really going on in my life. I have deeper, more honest relationships today in my life than I ever had before. And it took brokenness to open me up to that. Let me tell you something else I learned. Actually, something Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, helped me do. I don't think I ever could have done this in my own strength, and that is 
disinfect the wound. When you've been hurt by somebody, when you've been wounded by somebody in your family, in a relationship, at work. The natural tendency is when someone hurts you, what do you want to do? You want to hurt back. Someone strikes you, you want to strike back. And we hold on to hurts. And when we hold on to hurts, they devolve, they become toxic in us. And they turn into the debilitating diseases of hate and resentment and bitterness. And I struggled with those things. Notice Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. This is the Living Bible paraphrase. says, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. For as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Don't let bitterness take root. You say, Gene, how do you do that? How do you disinfect the wound? You practice forgiveness. Notice what Paul writes in Ephesians 4. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. How do you do that? He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. When my first marriage collapsed, one of the issues that I really had to struggle with was my anger, my contempt, even my hatred for the other man. He was a friend of mine. He was a member of our church family. We played tennis together every week. What kind of man moves in on another man's wife? You want to know what I wanted to do to him? I wanted, I mean, this is like one of the kindest things. (laughs) I wanted to take a baseball bat and connect with his front teeth. And I'm not even willing to tell the other things for fear that I might get arrested. So I'm carrying all this. And you all have had relationships in your life where you want to strike back. And so one morning, trying to yield myself to God, I'm in my quiet time, and I'm reading through the Bible, and I happen to be in Proverbs chapter 25. And I came to a verse that said, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If your enemy is thirsty, give him water to drink. And it was like the Holy Spirit just convicted me at that moment and said, Gene, it's time. It's time to forgive, and not just forgive. Take some positive action toward this guy. Give him water to drink. He's thirsty. And so I sat down that day, and I wrote him a letter. And I forgave him. And in an attempt to try to give him some water to drink, I sent him a book that had just been personally meaningful in my own life. And on the inside jacket, I wrote, It's my prayer that an authentic Christian faith will be the mark of your life and in return that it will mark others. And for the next couple of years, I prayed for him regularly. To be honest with you, that was one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. And there have probably been a thousand times I didn't respond when I've been hurt in that kind of a magnanimous way. You say, Gene, did... What happened? Did it bring about a change in his life at all? Honestly, I don't know. But here's what I know. It brought a fantastic, wonderful change in my life. 
and I'm free of that junk. And I live with joy and peace, and the poison is gone. And I'm just telling you, take it firsthand from someone. If you hold on to hurt, if you hold on to hate, it is so destructive to all your relationships. But if we'll learn to forgive and love our enemies internally, there is peace and joy and freedom that comes with that. Disinfect the wound. Third lesson. Allow God to work in you during this time. Brokenness tends to be one of the greatest schools of higher education. It's like graduate school life that we ever go to. You learn things in this crucible that purify you and refine you in ways that nothing else could. I learned so much. I don't know if I would have ever learned in any other way. I learned that when you lose everything that's important to you, and I thought I had lost everything that's important to me, not just a marriage, but, you know, my calling and ministry and what I did. I didn't know how God would orchestrate all that. I thought I had lost everything, and I found that when you have Jesus, you have enough. I carry that. Whenever, whenever a circumstance comes into my life now that is, it starts to overwhelm me, hey, Gene, you have Jesus. You have enough. I learned the importance of balance in my life. I learned the importance of truth-telling in relationships. I didn't used to be a real good communicator in relationships, let stuff go underground. I learned the importance of getting it out on the table, even when it's difficult, even when it takes you into a tunnel of chaos, even when you have to face things about yourself that you don't want to face. I think one of the greatest things God taught me through that experience was he gave me a new sensitivity for people who are crushed by their own crucibles in life. I'll never forget my first Christmas alone again. We'd had our Christmas Eve services in Vegas, and my intention was that I was going to go to a, afterwards to a drive-thru, grab something quick to eat, go home, do some laundry, pack, and I was going to catch a flight on Christmas morning back to the Midwest to spend Christmas Day with 20 members of my family back there. And I got away from the church after the services that night about 9.30, and I was hungry. I'd only had a sandwich about the middle of the day. And so I went down just down the street to a little chicken drive through place, and they were closed. So I went to Taco Bell, and they were closed. And so I thought, well, no, I'll go down the street. I went to Jack in the Box. I was really getting desperate, and, <laughs> and they were closed. And so then I thought... Well, I'll go to my supermarket, the deli at my supermarket. They're open 24 hours a day. So I go to my supermarket, and they're closed. I had never seen Las Vegas, the city that never sleeps, so quiet. And now I'm starting to get depressed, having a little pity party for myself, you know, thinking about all the families having their nice little gatherings on Christmas Eve, and poor me, all by myself. And, and, uh, but I was determined to find something to eat. So I kept driving around, and finally I landed at a country western-themed casino on the east edge of Las Vegas called Sam's Town. And to my surprise, when I pulled up, the place was hopping. And I walked through the casino, and there's people playing the slot machines and video poker machines and table games. And I went up to the second story to a 50s-style diner named Mary's Diner, and I sat down at a table for four all by myself and ordered the blue plate special. And it was like a bad dream. I remember thinking to myself, I just spoke for over a couple thousand people, and here I am at Sam's Town on Christmas Eve eating meatloaf and mashed potatoes and gravy alone. 
And just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, somebody put a quarter in the jukebox and Elvis started singing in my ear, Are you lonesome tonight? Absolutely true. And your sympathy is so meaningful to me today. Compassion just oozing out of you. Well, honestly, I started laughing to myself when that happened, probably to keep from crying. And the thought that just overwhelmed me was, Gene, here you are. You're one of the most blessed guys in the world. You've got a church family that loves you and has stood with you. You have more close friends than should be legally allowed to have. You're flying home in the morning to spend Christmas Day with 20 members of your family. And if you of all people can be lonely tonight, imagine how difficult this night is for those people who don't have anybody. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit used that moment to mark my life. And here's what happened. I'm walking out of the casino. Christmas Eve, watching all these people playing video poker machines and slot machines and table games. It's packed. And the thought hit me, they don't have anywhere else to go tonight either. Why else would they be here on Christmas Eve? Friends, I don't know if I would have developed a sensitivity toward hurting people without my own personal pain in that way. I hope it's made me into a different kind of Christ follower. I hope it's made me into a better pastor. One last lesson I learned during this period is that when you're going through a season of brokenness, allow God to work through you, not just in you, but through you. I think some of us have the idea that when, you know, we're going through a tough time personally, that God can't use us and he sets us on the shelf. Friends, oftentimes when we're weak, when we're crushed, when we're broken, that's when God is able to do his greatest work through us because it's just so clear for people to see. It's just God working in you. It's just God working through you. During that era where I was so personally crushed and for the next year or two, it took everything within me just to be able to stand up and have something to say, to teach in a weekend gathering like this. And yet I saw God work. And I began to understand that if God is the one who energizes my spiritual gifts when I'm weak, then he's really the one, the only one that can energize my gifts when I think I'm strong. And I began to understand what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he asked God to remove a thorn in his life three times. And God responded in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, saying, but my grace is sufficient for you. And notice this phrase, my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 1 about how we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Friends, I've received the comfort of a healing God, and I am committed the rest of my life to sharing that comfort with others that I've received. It's amazing how God sometimes takes, often takes the worst thing in our lives, and he uses it to do his greatest work. I think about, I've, you know, gone through this marriage failure and breakdown, and yet 
God is able sometimes when I talk about marriage failure, breakdown and betrayal and forgiveness and resentment, and people know I've had to live every word of that. And you've experienced this too. People who battle depression are the greatest people to help others walking through that battle in their life. People who've stood in an ICU and, and said goodbye to their lifelong partner are able to help others share the, go through their grief and share the grief experience with them. People who've been married to an addict often becomes the best people to walk through others who are living with an addict right now. And people who've gone through marriage struggles. And the struggles of rebuilding afterwards and the struggles of single parenting are often the people that God uses the most to help others. It's the way Jehovah Rapha continues his healing work, not just in you, but through you. Friends, as one who has experienced brokenness firsthand, I can tell you we have a God who heals. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And some of you are brokenhearted right now. Some of you are crushed in spirit right now. And those words, they sound inviting, but you think there's no way. There is no way. One of my favorite stories, maybe you've heard, is about a guy who was out for a jog one night. It's after dark. He decided to take a turn through a cemetery. And he's running through the cemetery. And he inadvertently fell in a freshly dug grave. And so he's trying to get out of it, and, and he's climbing and can't get out, and he's jumping, can't get out. He calls for help. Nobody can hear him. He thinks, oh, I'm going to have to spend the night because somebody's going to have to find me in the morning. A little bit later that night, there's another jogger coming through for a run through the cemetery, falls in the same hole, starts trying to climb to get out, can't get out. All of a sudden, feels a hand on his shoulder. <laughs> and then he hears a voice say to him, you can't get out of here. But he did. <laughs> Some of you are in situations right now and you think, I can't get out of here. But you can. Through the God who heals. And friends, this is why you need Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who helps you start over when you've failed. Jesus Christ is one. He knew firsthand betrayal and abandonment, and defection. And he's the one who comforts the broken. And I can tell you that when Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, I can tell you, he meant it. And he can do it for you. He can do it today. He can take you on that journey. I want to show you how good God has been in my life and what he's restored to my life. Here's a picture of my wife, Barbara, and our three kids that I want to bring up. Did I marry above my head or what? That's just one more expression of God's amazing, amazing grace. I'm married to the most wonderful woman, the, most, the greatest mother in the world, the most fantastic wife. And it's just one of many expressions of God's grace in my life. And he wants to give his grace and his healing power to you in his time and in his way. Let's bow our heads together. Well, God, I know there's not a person in this room who escapes life 
unscathed, without some wounds, without some hurts. And God, I know that there are some today who carry emotional wounds, hurts, memories. Some it was years ago, weeks ago. For others, it's been hours ago. And I thank you that you heal. I thank you for being Jehovah Rapha. I thank you for sending your son who understands what it is to be hurt and wounded by those closest to you. And I thank you that by his stripes, by his wounds, we can be healed. And I pray that in the coming moments, God, as Pastor Chuck comes and just talks to us about your grace and how to respond, I pray that we would be open to your activity. I pray that we'd have an awareness we don't have to leave here today the same way that we came in. Have your way in our life now, God. Thank you that you're close to the brokenhearted in this room. And I pray that today, through your son, Jesus Christ, you would save those who are crushed in spirit. And I ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. All right. Wow. And uh, Gene, thank you so much for sharing that story and your transparency. Let Gene know again how much you appreciate him. As he was praying, he said these words, you do not need to leave here the same way you came in. You might say, okay, but what do I do? I... I want God's healing. I want God's love. I want that to happen in my life. What do I do? Well, the Bible tells us to call on the name of the Lord, which that just really means pray. That, that Jesus, the one who said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If you would open up to me, I'd come in. Jesus wants to come into your heart and life. He wants to be the healer. He wants to take your burdens. He wants you to have life in an incredible way. And it's not about leaving here to say, okay, I'm going to be religious. It's about leaving here with a very real relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, Gene's story is one that shows you that what happens is we serve a God and know a God and love a God who takes maybe the worst heartbreak you can imagine and turns it into incredible good. I mean, how God is using Gene today, his family, his daughters, his son, is incredible. God never lets go of you. So you don't need to leave here and just think, okay, I hope someday this happens for me. You can leave here today knowing him and knowing his love. How do you do it again? You pray. We're going to go to a time of prayer in a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you want to say yes to the Lord, say, come in my life, take me, heal me. I want you, Lord. He wants you. I want to promise you, he wants you. He loves you. He cares about you. And and there's no reason for you to walk out of here not knowing him. And so it begins, there's some steps in the growth process, but it begins by just saying yes. And so when we get in this time of prayer, I'm going to invite anybody who wants to just to say yes. You might say, man, I've been hurt bad. Well, you know what? He can heal great. You might 
get real honest and say, I was the one who did the hurting. You know how God feels about you if you're the one who did the hurting? He could not love you more than he does. And he wants to change you and free you from the burden and the guilt. Today, you might say, but I'm a Christian and I've just, oh, I've just had it. I, I'm fed up. I, you know what? That's not how to live. Open back up to him and his love. Come back to him and experience him. Pray the prayer with us too. So today I'm hoping as we begin this process for some of you, you sense God calling you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you took Gene and every tear he shed during that period of his life, you treasured it and put it in a bottle. And God, I thank you that you brought healing. I praise you he was in a church that surrounded him with support and love. But I also praise you, God, that on the other side of what seemed like the longest valley ever, there was a beautiful woman that you gave to him as a gift to be his wife, to be his partner, to share life with him in a way that's incredible. And the journey they've been on since then has just been awesome. And God, I know that Gene's story is mine and so many others here. That, Lord, you heal you not only give hope, you bring fulfillment of that hope. And so, God, I pray today that if there's someone here who needs your touch, who needs your love, who needs healing, who needs your help, that, Lord, right now they would say yes to you. God, if there's somebody who's here now and they've been thinking, is this for real? God, I pray they could see it's so real. It does work. You're real and you do work in our hearts and lives. And I pray they would open up to you. God, for a person today who finally needs to say, yes, I'm going to jump in, I pray they'd open up. So I ask, oh, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would move right now. And I ask that you'd start to stir and touch each person who needs to open up and say yes to you. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, if you're part of our Crossroads family, please do this. Please pray for anybody here right now who needs to make this decision. But right now, I want you to know God loves you. And if you are ready to say yes to him, he wants you to. And I'm going to ask you to do this. Just let's pray this prayer together. Just whisper this with me. Right now, if you want to have a relationship that's real with him or you truly know him, just whisper this prayer. If you want healing in your life, whisper the prayer. If you want to come back, let's just say it together. Pray this. Think about these words. Say, Lord Jesus. I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurt and my pain, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say yes. I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. And fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you created me to be. And help me live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer today. Praise God for you. Oh.